0: Hello and welcome to Design Untangle with me, Chris Mears, and sitting over there is Carla Lindarte. How's it going?
1: Hello, Chris. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, very good. We're using our new podcast recording tool today, so hopefully it doesn't screw up.
1: Yeah, hopefully it works. Um, So um, how are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm good. I had a massage a few hours ago, so I'm very oily at the moment.
1: I can't believe I also had a massage at work today.
0: Oh, did you? Maybe it was the same person. (laughs) We didn't have the massage together, just in case anyone was wondering.
1: No, no, no. I had it at work. Um, It was really, really, really good. So I'm really relaxed, ready for the weekend with this horrible weather.
0: Yeah. Spring has finished already. We're back into (laughs) winter. But there you go. That's the joys of living in the UK.
1: It is. (laughs) So today, we are going to talk about guerrilla testing, right?
0: Uh, yeah, that was what I thought we were talking about anyway.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> so what the hell is guerrilla testing, Carla?
1: Wow. What, what is it? It's just like random testing. No, it's not. Now, guerrilla testing is basically, it is more related to the way you recruit participants rather than lack of planning or random research. If that makes sense so basically it means that you um, go to a place where you think you'll be more likely to find the users you're looking for um, and randomly select people you know either is, is it on the street or if it's in a party or in a bar or in a restaurant wherever you think your target audience is and try to talk to them um, without previously you know setting up the whole um, you know the whole research so that is, in my opinion what a guerrilla testing is but what do you think it is Chris?
0: Um, yeah that sounds about right I'd say it is one of the scarier things you can do as a UX designer or researcher because you're basically going up and talking to complete strangers generally speaking it can be billed as sort of like you say a a half assed version of research when you haven't got time to do it properly, but that's not really the case. It's just a technique that you can have in your arsenal to gather data from users when, you know, you can't set up a proper lab session or observe them in the, in the kind of context of their jobs or whatever it is you're looking at. So it's don't think of it as a, a third class methodology. It's just a different way of gathering insight.
1: Yeah. Exactly, so it's, it's also called spot testing, I think, or um, pop-up testing, I many like teams call it a different thing, but they also, I think we have to highlight the fact that it is important, career testing is actually useful because you can see um, the user in the context of where, you know, where they actually gonna start interacting with the product or, you know, that you are actually designing. So um, that is a good thing. Sometimes when you put people in a lab environment, it's not really a real scenario, whereas Gorilla has the advantage of being, you know, at least closer to the real experience that the user is going to have.
0: Yeah, well, in some contexts anyway, if you're designing an app, then certainly it's probably more likely they're going to be doing that kind of out and about um it can obviously be different if you're designing something that they would do at their their desk basically in their day job um so it depends on the project how valid the context is i think but in any case you can usually get some sort of useful feedback from people just from a usability point of view if nothing else
1: yeah and as i mean it's also very like low cost um you know, way of getting uh, user feedback. I mean, if you're in a team where they're saying, no, we're not going to do any research, we don't have money to do any testing at the moment, you can always suggest, you know, doing some guerrilla testing because some research is better than none. Um, However, it doesn't mean you have to have less rigor in the the research. And what I mean with that is that you still need to have a clear view of what are the things that you want to learn what are the hypotheses that you're testing and um, a clear view of what kind of questions you're going to be asking etc so you still need to plan for it um and you you need to have very clear in mind uh, what is what is this thing that you want to learn from that particular um, research activity um because i've seen you know teams in the past um that they just go off and then they start stopping people and they just start just asking random questions without a particular structure. Um, they don't really know what they're trying to do. Sometimes they ask, oh, do you like this? And that's obviously a very bad question to ask. Um, so you still need to have a more, a clear view of what you want to achieve and have, you know, prepare a discussion guide and all that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, I've kind of seen it, the or will be, just like, oh, just go and guerrilla test it. But you have to kind of push back on that a little bit and say, okay, fine, we can do that. But what are we trying to achieve? What are we trying to learn? Often it's seen as just a way of ticking the user research box without spending any money. But I think Mm. it's your job as UX designers to make them aware that, you know, as Carla says, there's still planning involved. There's still Kind of understanding what the value of doing that gorilla research is, is it going to answer any questions? It should never just be a oh, okay, we took it out and showed it some users. You know, we've showed it six users, happy days, let's go to the pub. Um, there should actually be a point to it, you should get or at least be aiming to get some value out of it. Don't just do it for the sake of it, essentially.
1: Yeah. Exactly right. So not just do it for the sake of it and just do it properly. Um, So you still need to think about, you know, the location, where you're going to go, you have to put together a plan, you know, you have to have in mind as well, um, how many people you're targeting. Um, So how many people you think is kind of, you know, success if I go, you know, for half a day or for a few hours to this particular branch or store or whatever to find users. Um, You also have uh, something that I've learned as well um, throughout like doing guerrilla research in the past is that if you go with too many questions in mind, I don't think it's going to work. And what I mean with that is that you can't just go and, and try to, to get, you know, a lot of time with someone, with one person, um, and just, you know, spend hours with them, like trying to understand so many different things. You have to make it quick, and you have to make it simple. Um, and it's better to run, like to do various, um, you know, testing sessions rather than trying to cover way too much with one user.
0: Yeah, because you got to remember what you're doing here, right? You're approaching a stranger asking for their time. Uh, very often, they're not particularly going to be keen on that because they think you're trying to sell them something or whatever. So it's unrealistic to have a hour-long lab-style discussion guide and expect to get through all of that. So you have to be really targeted in what you're trying to find out before they usher you on your way or kick you up the ass or punch you
1: (laughs) exactly and also like i've also seen people using guerrilla testing to way of proving something and what i mean with that is that they might have okay let's just um interview you know let's go do some guerrilla testing let's find 10 people and see if they like this button right and then they say, oh yeah eight out of ten like the button so we're going ahead with the button that is not the way or how or why you do guerrilla testing. So if you if you have like a quantitative need, I would suggest a different method. Um, if you are t- uh, testing accessibility or or actual usability, I don't think is the right method either. Um, and I think it's also when you're trying to test whether or not um, you know you're proving a proposition like you know is this a good product is this something that we you know a company should invest i don't think guerrilla testing is the right choice either so you just need to be um, aware of the benefits of guerrilla testing but also why you shouldn't be um, using that method i've also seen teams doing like what they call a b testing and i actually would like to get your opinion on that chris because um i've seen people like with for example uh some mobile screens and they have in one screen this you know a, a different design than the other and they ask people which one do you like best and that's what they call <clears throat> A/B testing for me that's not a b testing for me a b testing is more like a quantitative you know multivariance test um uh, a, a kind of like you know method but um yeah, they use that to say, do you prefer this or that? What What's your opinion on that, Chris?
0: Um, well, people were pretty bad at predicting future behavior. And the only reason really you want to compare two designs is to see if one drives a particular behavior better or more effectively than another one. And you're not going to be able to get that information by saying, oh, which one do you like better? This one or this one. That's not going to prove if anyone will actually kind of their behaviour will follow what you want it to one way or the other. You're only going to be able to do that on an A, B test with kind of large volume and get statistical significance on that. You might be able to spot some usability issues with a certain approach, which is fine. But if you're ever asking someone, do you like this one or this one in any sort of test, whether it's guerrilla or otherwise, (laughs) then you need to revisit your discussion guide
1: yeah, exactly. I, I have the same opinion, but I just wanted to make sure I wasn't completely crazy. Um. So what is a discussion guide then?
0: Um. Well, that's a bigger question than just guerrilla testing. That's a, a wider research thing, but essentially it is a framework of a conversation. It's basically a prompter for whoever's running the research to remember what they wanted to find out and Generally how the conversational flow, I use them only at a very high level when I'm doing testing because I like to let the conversation flow a little bit. It's going to be a bit lame if you're literally reading. Oh, so when do you use this? How many hours a day? What's your favorite color? (laughs) Um, Especially in a gorilla setting where it's very informal because you're approaching complete strangers. They're not expecting to be part of your user research. It needs to just act as a kind of reminder, a prompter. Um, to be honest, I find that very often I don't even look at it. I'm familiar in my mind just from writing it beforehand.
1: Right. That is that is a very, very good point. I also think discussion guides are important if you have a team working with you as well so I've been in situations where we say okay let's divide and conquer you take that side of the shop I take this side of the shop and then we go in normally in pairs because it would be good to always have someone uh, observing and taking notes whilst you conduct the 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 session the session if possible <clears throat> and it also it also it also helps when you know for note taking and structure to have some kind of a common themes and as you said it has doesn't have to be prescriptive but it gives you some structure for you know what is it that you want to achieve and then it's easier to go back and uh, kind of get the learnings consistently across all the sessions so what else do we need? Um, do people need before the session? So getting a discussion guide, also a consent form. Um, I particularly like getting consent forms. Some people don't do it. But I think it is important for people to understand that, you know, they're being part of a, this a research piece. And, you know, they're signing for you to be able to use, um, you know, the material in any you know in, in particular um in a particular way so there's lots of templates um you know online that you can use and, and tailor to your company or your project
0: um yeah so consent is a, an interesting one and something that's gonna become much more important in the coming month when a piece of legislation called gdpr comes in that is all around privacy and data and how your data is used so you need to make it very clear why you're speaking to this person if you're Mm -hmm. recording it what's going to happen to that recording what can they do if they want to have that recording removed at a later date or deleted I would recommend not keeping any personal data or archives of research you've done any longer than you absolutely have to you probably if you have one your company legal department may want to just check over that consent form. It's kind of obviously with all the Facebook stuff that's been happening and these new laws coming in, you really need to make sure that people are actually agreeing to give you information and understand what that information is being given for, even if it is just a guerrilla-style usability test.
1: Yeah, definitely. That And it couldn't be, you know, it can't be... Um you know dismiss these days because of gdpr and and it's also like ethically it's it's a good thing to you know as an interviewer to be able to tell people you know this is how we're going to use your data um and you know please sign here and give us consent in the way we're going to use it so
0: yeah because the example i've seen is you might think oh who cares it's just a, a chat about some screens or whatever but you know if you've got a recording of someone taking the piss out of a certain design or laughing at it or whatever and you show that a big company meeting you've then put this person in kind of a particular position where they're being shown to be like mocking or an idiot or whatever and you just have to think about the implications of how that recording can be used
1: yeah exactly so that consent forms is really, really important. You have you can have it printed or some in the past I've also done digital ones, like, you know, using a, a survey, kind of survey monkey stuff that records all the all the you know the concerns that people do. Uh, it all depends on what you want to do. Um it's also important to bear in mind that even though you're gonna be like on the go and um, you know, in a, in a public space, normally, you still need to kind of find a space where you could have more quieter conversations with people. Um, I mean, we used to when I used to do research in stores, it's like finding that space where you can ask people to kind of go aside and have conversations. So before you start any uh, any career research plan you need to think about the location you're going whether or not you have permissions to do it to be there first of all and to be able to record or, or take pictures or whatever you want to do in that particular location and also um, having a, like a space or a station you know where you could actually take the person take them through any prototypes or any visual you know problems that you have you don't like my
0: voice that's really good i can do that now just whenever i don't like what you're saying i'll just go (laughs) (laughs)
1: okay so the location is really important and Um, having permissions to be there and also finding a space that you can get your users. um, And then maybe if you planning to do it for more than 20 minutes, at least you can sit down or leave if they're carrying bags or whatever, they have a space to do that. I know it's silly, but from experience, I can tell you that um, it could get really complicated. People might be able to help you out and want to help you out. But if you don't give them, you know, enough space or time or whatever, it might they might say no. So you have to be ready for all of these things. Also, be ready with charges, making sure you're going to have Wi-Fi, you know, because sometimes you don't have access to Wi-Fi. And if you need it, you can carry and carry something with you, a device with wi-fi if you need it um you know all these things like just create a checklist of all the things that you need and and be ready uh, if it's raining if it's going to rain check the weather um <clears throat> all of that is really important because um depending on that you're going to get more or less users
0: yeah and there's certain places you'll kind of learn as you go along i think but where people are maybe a bit more willing to talk to you. So if you approach someone and they're on their own in whatever it is, a station or something, you're generally not going to get very results, whereas very good results even. Um, whereas if it's kind of a lot of people around and they're waiting for something like a train, time to kill, you might get a, a slightly better result. Um, so it's all about just having that, a bit of awareness about the environment and people's body language Um, if they're sitting there reading a book or you know or they're very obviously don't want to be disturbed then just don't disturb them you'll just pick it up i think as you do more of this it can be quite intimidating at first expect a lot of no's or weird looks you get over that pretty quickly <laughs> i think as you approach more people i remember. I had to talk to various people about buses in Glasgow a while ago. Surprisingly, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, but there were definitely some very suspicious people. Why the hell are you asking me about buses? I questioned that myself a little bit.
1: (laughs) Reassessed my life.
0: But yeah, you will get rejected quite a lot, but just keep at it. You'll get over it pretty quickly. Yeah. And remember to just take breaks every few hours because it is quite emotionally draining as well as the other thing I found.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is very emotionally draining. But you know what, like incentives is actually a very good way to attract people. So, you know, if you work with a retail company and you go into the shops, you know, try to get some like vouchers or 10% discount or, um, you know, when when you're targeting very like niche markets like parents for example you can get them like you know tickets for for them to go to the kids somewhere or, you know, just try to, depending on the type of users and that's what is really important going back to what is it that you're trying to achieve with your guerrilla testing and what kind of people I need for this particular hypothesis I want to prove. You can tailor your incentives um, and make them more attractive for them. Um, I remember once I saw a group of people um, near we work in uh, Moorgate doing some research for, I think it was a health app or something like that so they had they were looking for health conscious people and they were giving away like smoothies and you know um, protein bars and things like that so then you kind of t- try to tailor what you are given them f- with the type of users that you're looking for
0: yeah absolutely I remember when I was doing the bus one I just bribed people with new cars <laughs>
1: Oh, that's good. Wow. I wish it wasn't that research. Yeah, I
0: had a, a big budget for that one.
1: <laughs> oh, you know, also that something that we forgot, like having an ID or you know, like showing that you actually are a serious person doing a piece of Fake research. ID,
0: that's a very good idea. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like sometimes i confuse you with people like asking for charity or something like that because you you don't know like there's a lot of people on the street trying to talk to you oh i'm not going to talk to you especially if you're in london no one wants to talk to you but if you want to if you um can identify yourself say look work for this design agency or i do this you know just want to test an app with you so having an idea, something that supports that story is, is also very really important.
0: Yeah, and that's true. I did get asked, you know, who do I work for or whatever. So having some proof that you do actually work for a company and you know, not just some weirdo talking to people at bus stops <laughs> was almost the case there. Um, that's definitely <laughs> a good thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Any, any Anything else about guerrilla testing?
0: Um, No, I don't think so. Um, We've got quite a good blog article on the uxreview.co.uk about guerrilla testing and some tips about how to do that. Some of the things you might want to think about. Some of them we've covered on this podcast. Um, Carla's also got a very good webinar we did a few months ago on guerrilla testing apps, which you might want to check out. You can find the link on that if you join our slack group on uxmentor.me that's free to join yeah i don't have too much else on it really uh it is scary um but it's a very good way of kind of immersing yourself in user research getting people in context Mm -hmm. and just getting used to talking to people and getting information out of them as well i think that's quite a useful skill in general
1: yeah yeah you 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 can't be shy you have to just go for it the first one will be always painful in any research you do the first one is the worst because that's what you learn oh this thing doesn't work or this because discussion one is too long or you know maybe this wasn't the right location so you learn from the first one that's the most painful one but the rest of them are the you know the following ones are okay and people you actually start enjoying it So yeah, and also one last thing before we go, and then you can ask me to shut up, is um, just think about how you can analyze as you go. So there are things like affinity mapping, and you'll see that in my webinar, um, uh, little tools that help you start identifying the common themes and the common patterns of your research as you go, so that you don't have to... Uh, you know then spend lots of time reading through your notes and remembering when people did a uh, set so um, it's always as you said like having a break after each one of the sessions and with your partner with just someone you know trying to write down the, the you know the things that you learned um, and you know the the kind of nicer quotes that you got from that particular piece of research and it just helps you then at the end of the day you don't have to go back to lots of recording which is uh, quite time consuming.
0: Yeah I think we'll probably do an episode on research analysis in general at some point as well yeah uh okay is it plug time
1: yes plug time you love the plug time so go for it
0: plug time Okay, so I've already plugged the Slack channel, but I'll do it again. Uh, So we've got a community of around nearly 600 people now, actually.
1: Oh, wow. That's a lot of people.
0: That is a lot of people. (laughs) So if you want to connect with other people learning UX and talk about the podcast or anything else you want to talk about, um, you can go to uxmentor.me and join for free there. In terms of Design Untangled, we're on Twitter at Design Untangled or on the web, Design Untangled at Code UK. Individually, we're on Twitter at Chris underscore Mears underscore UX or at Carla Lindarte. Um, And I think that's it. So this new little podcast recording tool we're using lets me play the awesome intro and outro music at the click of a button. So should we give it a try and see if it works?
1: adios grace i'll see you in two weeks
0: okay see you later